number of weeks ago, we began a study on experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. And a part of that is to take a look at the seven realities of experiencing and knowing God. And we took this from a Henry Blackaby study that has really gone around the world. And it is so applicable to every one of us today. And I think we all are seeking two of those two things. We'd love to experience God. And at the same time, every one of us would like to know and do what God's will is. And so let's walk through the realities as we get ready to come, as we're moving closer to the close of, um, of this series. The first thing with the realities, when you look at the first reality, is that God is working everywhere. And so when you look right here, you'll see that God's work, and that means that God is working all around us. And we understand that everywhere we are, that God is doing his work. But then you run into the second reality, and that is the relationship. And that is that God desires to have a personal love relationship with each one of us, a relationship that is real and a relationship uh, that, that has got some activity involved in it. So God is desiring this relationship. Everything that we've looked at, each one of these steps, it keeps circling back to this key. Because if you take out the relationship with God and just try to get through and figure out what I'm supposed to do in life, but yet you leave this out, you'll never get there and I'll never get there. So the key is building that love relationship with God. And he seeks that. He seeks that with each one of us. Well, once he seeks that relationship, then God invites you to become a part and become involved in his work. God gives you that invitation. And God gives you that invitation and reveals that invitation by speaking to you. And God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and by the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And we looked at that, broke that in to both the Bible and prayer, circumstances and church. And as God speaks to you, then once God speaks to you and you understand his invitation to do a God-sized assignment, when that happens, you run into a crisis of belief. And in the crisis of belief, it will always lead you to this crisis of belief and it requires faith and action. What it determines is at this point, it will determine what you believe about God and what you believe about what he says. Do you believe who he is and you, and you do believe what he says? The biggest turning points into every one of us is going to be number five and number six. Number five, you get to that point of the crisis of belief. And if you get it intellectually in your head that you say, I, I believe who God is and I believe what he says and I come to the fork in the road, I want to take that direction of God. Then you come in to the adjustment stage. And that is that you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. You have to make major adjustments in your life to be able to follow what God is doing. This is what we're going to talk about today. And this is where most of us drop the ball is right here. However, if we do this, if we make these major adjustments, we come to the seventh reality, and that is that you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. But number six the adjustment. And so today we want to talk about that adjustment, about making a major adjustment in your life to join God 
in what he is doing. There are a few things that, that I'm going to struggle with in this message, and they'll just come out as we talk. But the very first one is that I just want to cover and, and lay a foundation for you. This is, this is really not that different than anything in life. In that anytime you make a commitment and you take a crisis of belief, you're going to have to make some adjustments in order for that to work. Example, uh, when you get married... And as couples, when you get married and you come to a church similar to this and you stand here, you look at your spouse and you take her or his hand, you look him in the eyes, and then you repeat after the minister your vows. Unless you're probably like Michael, he probably sang his vows. But, um, but you know, you would repeat the vows. And as you repeat the vows, oftentimes it's, it's something like, I promise to love and honor, trust and serve you in sickness and in health, in adversity and prosperity, and to be true and loyal to you so long as we both shall live. Think about that. I promise to love and honor you, trust and serve you in sickness and in health, in adversity the tough times, and prosperity, the good times, and to be true and loyal to you as long as we both shall live. Those are some great words. And you came to the crisis of belief in that you said, I believe this is the person that I'm supposed to marry. And so with my words, I have said what I believe about you and what I intend to do. But you know what? If you don't make major adjustments in your individual life, you will never carry those things out. We are naturally prideful, selfish people. And for me to sit there and say to my spouse, love, honor, trust, serve you, love you in the good times and the bad times, that takes some adjustment. And so if we fail to make that adjustment then we will fail to carry out our marriage vows and then our marriage will fail being what God intended it to be. And it could be a really miserable time. If you keep that in mind and you think about what the sixth reality is, it is that I've heard God speak. God's been very clear through what I've read in the Bible, through my prayers, through all the circumstances. I've looked at my spiritual markers. I've had counsel from the church where people have poured into my life. And this looks like the right thing that I'm supposed to do. And okay, I think I'm going to do that, Lord. And then God says, you need to make some adjustments. And if we fail to make those adjustments, then we will not be obedient to God and we will not carry out what he called us to do. But this is where a lot of us get to the point and go, "Mm, I don't know, it's a little tough. So in our message, I want to give you a, a number of points that I want you to write down and just be thinking through because this will help us as we deal with how to make these major adjustments. This is almost like your last hurdle. I mean, you're, you're just right there. And God has laid this out and he's got this amazing plan for you, an amazing activity that will bring him honor, glory, and advance his kingdom in ways that he is so excited about. And you're right there and you've got to make the call. Mm, no, nah, I don't think I can make that adjustment. Or I'm ready to do whatever it takes. Okay, here we go. Number one. 
you can't continue business as usual or stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Okay, write this down. You can't continue business as usual or you just can't stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Noah could not continue business as usual and build the ark. Abram, he could not stay in Ur and Haran when God says, you're to be the father of a great nation over here in Canaan. Moses could not stay on the backside of the desert and work for his father-in-law Jethro when God says, you need to stand before Pharaoh. You can't stay there. You've got to move over here. David had to leave his sheep in the pasture so he could go and serve as king. Amos had to leave his sycamore orchard so he could go to Israel and preach the message that God gave him. Jonah had to leave his home and even go against what he had been taught about these evil Ninevites in order for him to go and preach in Nineveh. Esther could not sit here and remain silent before the king and save her people. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to leave their fishing business in order to follow Jesus. Matthew had to leave his lucrative tax collecting business in order to follow Jesus. Saul, excuse me, Saul, who later became Paul, had to completely reorient his life in order to do what God had called him to do. So you see, you can't continue business as usual or stay where you are and go with God at the same time. If God has put some God-sized activity in front of us that we are supposed to do, then there's absolutely no way we can just kind of add that to our to-do list and say nothing else changes. I'm going to stay the, the same I'm going to stay. I'm going to continue to do the same things I'm going to do. And I'm just going to add a little of you in there. There is nothing in Scripture that teaches that. And when you read through Scripture and you read through the men and women that did great things for God, they had to make some major adjustments. Enormous changes and adjustments were required whenever God's people determined to obey his calling. Some had to leave their family. Some had to leave their country. Others had to abandon long-held prejudices and had to reorient their thinking. Men and women were willing to leave behind their life goals, their ideals, and their desires. Everything had to be yielded to God and their entire life adjusted to him. The moment the necessary adjustments were made, however, God began to accomplish his purposes through them. And each one learned that adjusting one's life to God is always well worth the cost. Anytime you go from where you are to where God is working or from your ways of thinking to God's ways of thinking or from your purposes to God's purposes, a major adjustment will be involved because God doesn't think like we think. God doesn't act like we act. And since God's ways are so much higher than our ways, whenever he presents something to us that is a God-sized assignment, I can guarantee you it means that we're going to have to be doing something different. That's where a major adjustment needs to happen. And this is where 98% will tune him out because we don't want to do it. We didn't know it was going to be that, that tough. And why does it have to be that way, Danny? I mean, why does it have to be? I mean, why can't God just come up with some activity that just sort of fits right into my schedule, my life, where I am and what I do? Doesn't he know I've got a life over here? Why does God ask us to do that? Does that seem unfair that he does that? That brings you to the second point. And this is your second point. 
The second point is God required a major adjustment of his own son, so why not us also? God required a major adjustment of his own son, so why not us also? You see, in order for salvation to take place for mankind, Jesus Christ had to step out of heaven and onto earth. Look what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You say, so what did he do? Well, look at Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, who, this is Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. This is the Son of God in heaven, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And what God said is, I have a plan of salvation for humanity, for all of mankind. And in order for that to happen, I'm asking my son, Jesus, to leave his position of power and glory in heaven and to come to earth to be a servant. And not just to be a servant, but also to serve all the way to the point of death. Jesus emptied himself of all of his position and of all of his glory in heaven to join the Father in what the Father was doing. There is no way that Jesus could have stayed in heaven and been a part of God's plan to redeem humanity on the earth. He had to move out of heaven onto earth. I don't know about you, but if I, if, if I can keep that in my mind, if that can resonate in my heart, then whenever God asks me to move from this to this, I think that takes out the whining factor out of my life. Because of what Jesus did, and God says, I asked my son to do this, and I want to tell you, I've got some God-sized activity that I want you to do. And God's got things for us to do. And in order for us to do that, he says, I'm asking you to make some adjustments. I'm asking you to make adjustments. Following your master means you go wherever he goes. And until you're ready to make the adjustments necessary to follow and obey what God has said, you will be of little use to God. And this is where our greatest difficulty comes. You know the story of the rich young ruler found in, in Luke chapter 18? Guy came up to Jesus. Uh, it's a guy who'd been like in Sunday school all his life. He knew the Ten Commandments. He knew the Old Testament it's like backwards and forwards. And he came. He was a real moral guy. And he came to Jesus and he says, what must I, I, I do to, you know, to be saved? And, and, and he, he walks through all to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus gives him a list of these commandments. And he says, I've done every one of those. He says, I've done those since I was a youth. And so then Jesus says to him, and Jesus heard this. He said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. That's it. Just one thing. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, looking at him with sadness, says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. This is not a passage for people to talk about. Just Is this just a money thing? No, it's talking about What's the God or the idol in your heart? And for him, it was his wealth. 
And God says, I need to have first place. I want you to make a major adjustment in your life to where you place me at the forefront, even over your wealth. And you know what he said? He says, I don't want to do that. And he walked away sad. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can take that word money and put anything. You cannot serve God and this world. See, the Lord knows what is in each of our hearts that hinders us from fully giving ourselves over to following him. For some, it could be prosperity. For some, it could be worldly things. For some, it could be immorality. It could be a besetting sin that we just hold on to. And and God is saying, listen, before you you can really be used by me, I need you to take this, get control over this particular area of your life. But we're we're saying, well, now I want to hold on to this and I still want to do what you want me to do, God. He said, that's one of the major adjustments is you need to set that aside. You need to get a victory over that. It could be doubt and fear for the future. And God knows your heart. And you're such a planner. And you want to know where everything's going to fall. And all of a sudden, God is asking you to take a step of faith that you're not really certain how all that's going to work out. But because of your doubt and fear of the future, you won't make that adjustment. It could be moving from home and leaving extended family that keeps you from following Christ. Those are hard times. That's difficult to do. And when you've got all your family around you and yet God has called you to move, and, and I know a lot of you are sitting there saying, oh, that's just for missionaries that move across, you know, across the ocean. No, that's some people don't want you to move from Birmingham to Huntsville. <laughs> You're too far away from the grandkids. I mean, I mean, and these are things where you say, I've got my family here. I, I just don't know. And, and when we hold on to that and we want to make that adjustment, See, adjusting your life to God means dealing with financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational barriers that prevent you from absolute obedience to him. Number three, to go in obedience to God, you must first make adjustments in your heart and life that God requires. To go in obedience to God, you must first make adjustments in your heart and life that God requires. So you begin to take that first step of making the adjustments he's asked you to make. (laughs) A great story is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah is looking for uh, the, the man that's going to take his place. That whenever he dies, who's going to be the lead prophet? And God says, I've chosen the man. His name is Elisha. Do you're Elijah? We got Elisha. He says, go let him know that he's been chosen. So he goes over to visit Elisha, and Elisha is a farmer, and he has got 12 teams of oxen. A team is two, so that's 24 oxen. And he's out there in the field with these oxen. Elijah goes over and puts this cloak on him, like a mantle on him, to say, hey, you're the man. And Elisha looked at Elijah, and he said, hey, can I first go back and kind of kiss mom and dad goodbye and take care of some stuff, and I'm ready to follow you. You know what he did? He went back home. He took all the farm implement and he burned it all, got rid of his farm equipment, took the oxen, all 24, slaughtered them all, had a barbecue, invited the community, fed the whole community, and he says, I'm out of here. That's a major life adjustment. I just made the adjustment. I'm no longer farming, I'm a prophet. And I fed the community. It's a pretty good deal. 
What does Jesus say? Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, and in, as we look at this verse, I put my own uh, in, uh, additions to it. And Jesus said to all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's an adjustment. Is that correct? Deny yourself. Ooh, that's an adjustment. And take up his cross daily. There's another adjustment. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's obedience. You see, adjustment, adjustment, obedience. Jesus was telling his followers, listen, you've got to make some adjustments if you're going to follow me. You got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you follow me. And if you ever attempt to follow Jesus without making adjustments, it'll be impossible. So what kind of adjustments should you make? Well, the list is endless. We could sit here and I could just give you litany after litany of list of adjustments. And it's different for, for every person's life. But before I talk about some of those, this is something else that I just need to get out on the table here. You go through a study like this of experiencing God, and I've struggled with this, is that oftentimes when you go through it, you think that this is mainly for people that are going into the ministry or going into missions. And we feel like that the people that make the big adjustments are those that are saying they're going to go to Africa, Indonesia, going to Europe, whatever, and they're going to serve God, and they're the ones that have to make the big step. And there's some truth to that. But these principles are for all of us. And you don't have to take God's call all the way across the ocean in order for this to apply to every one of our lives. God is looking for God-sized activity to take place around this world right here in Birmingham. And he's looking at people at Shades Mountain Baptist Church to do that through. So you need to understand that. That it's not just that. But on the flip side, I really think that more of that needs to happen. I really think that more of us have got to take a strong look in God's word and say, God, I will go wherever it is you want me to go. And where it's not just a handful of people that just, that will go on mission or whatever, I believe there are a whole lot more people that need to do that. I believe there are a whole lot more people that need to take some radical steps for the Lord. And uh, so I don't want you to discount that. But on the other hand, I don't want you to just sweep it under the rug and say, you know, I just feel real confident God's called me to stay right here. He may have you right here, but there may be some adjustments he wants you to make in order to do some things in your life. Here's just some examples. Um, adjustments that you make. Financial. God may be wanting to make you some financial adjustments you make. There's some things that God's called you to do in order to do it. You're going to have to make some adjustments as to how you handle your finances, how you spend your money. It may be adjustments in time to where God has a God-sized activity. But, you know, there's some things that you don't want to give up on there. I'll be real straight with you. <laughs> I didn't want to be a pastor. You know why I didn't want to be a pastor? I didn't want to give up my weekends. I enjoyed going to football games. A sinner. <laughs> And I kept sitting there thinking, man, it's going to eat up all my weekends. Why don't we go to football games? Won't be able to see football. And then lo and behold, the VCR was invented. 
and uh, and we laughed and we said, VCR, we can tape a game and you can watch it later. <laughs> but, but I mean, these are like small things. Oh, that's crazy. No, this is what I'm talking about. How you spend your time. You look at your time. And there'll be things that you have on your calendar and God may want to do something great in your life. And what he's asking you to do is you're going to have to shift some of those time responsibilities. Are you willing to make those adjustments? I, example, God may call some of you to run for political office. If God called anyone to run for political office, there's some major adjustments you've got to make. And one of those major adjustments is a loss of privacy. Your life becomes an open book. A major adjustment is you're going to have to lose, I hope you understand this, kind of the freedom of speech. And what I mean by that is when you're just working in a normal office, you can say whatever you want to around the, around the coffee machine. But when you're an elected official, you can't just spew off. Because if you start spewing off, it's going to be a sound bite on CNN or Fox News. And all of a sudden, uh, all kind of problems happen. Your responsibilities have changed. There's got to be some adjustments. Your family. Are you willing to move away from extended family if that's what God calls you to do? Maybe God could be calling you to do something cross-cultural. And if God ever calls you to do something cross-cultural, he's asking you to make a major adjustment many times in your own prejudice. Because it may be a racial prejudice, it may be social economic prejudice, it may be an educational prejudice, but there's some prejudices that you have and you've been harboring and you realize, I gotta, I gotta overcome that. I got to make an adjustment there, adjust my thinking, adjust my methodology. That's a major adjustment. I always thought that you do A, B, and C, but you know, in this situation, we can't go A, B, and C. It's going to have to be different. I've got to be able to make an adjustment. There may be an adjustment to your commitment to your job, an adjustment, a commitment to your life plans, a commitment to your traditions. It may affect how you pray, how you give, how you serve. All these, I hope you, I hope I'm just throwing these things out to let you know that whenever God calls you to do a God-sized assignment with his activity, he's going to ask you to make some type of adjustment. And it doesn't always mean selling your house and moving to another country. These are adjustments that happen just in our everyday life to accomplish the things that God has called you to do. Number four. God will frequently require an adjustment in areas you've never considered before. <laughs> God will frequently require adjustments in your life in areas that you never thought before. Peter is a great example of this. You know, after, uh, after Pentecost, and Peter is, is there in his house, and he goes up to the rooftop to have his quiet time, and God shows him this vision of all this different kind of food, and he tells him, Peter, there's no clean and unclean. Everything I've created is clean. Everything I've created, you need to be able to interact with. And, and Peter, in his upbringing as a Jew, is that the, the diet issues they had, where you had clean food and unclean, and you looked at a Gentile, and they were unclean. You couldn't go into their house. You couldn't have anything to do with them. And then all of a sudden, there's a knock on his door, and there's some people from Caesarea, and they said, Cornelius has called us to come and for you to come see him. And so he goes visit Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and he walks into a Gentile's house. And he stands before these Gentiles, and he said, in essence, I would have never guessed that I would have ever been in this position. I would have never come into this home. But yet God showed me that everything he makes is clean for me to be able to touch and to talk and to interact with. And see... There was an area in Peter's life that he had absolutely no idea 
that God was working and making adjustments. There's some of you that are sitting here that you would never see being a Sunday school teacher as being on your radar. And yet what God may be doing is calling you to do something like that and to make some adjustments for you to do that. For some of you, you may have been reading and hearing about the plight of orphans and the need in foster care. And it may have been something that, that in the back of your mind, you keep saying somebody needs to do something. And yet all of a sudden, God may be speaking to you saying, yes, you're the one. Maybe you need to be a foster parent. And you're going to have to make some major adjustments, major adjustments in your time, major adjustments in, in finances, major adjustment in schedule. But God says, this is what I want you to do. And you say, well, that was an area I would have never guessed that God would have spoken to me. There are some people here that God is calling to be on mission here in, the, in North America or maybe overseas. And he's asked you to make those adjustments. For some, it is to work with special needs children. Have you ever thought about that? You've watched some specials. Your heart goes out to them, but you never thought about doing that. And all of a sudden, God has begun to work in your life. And you say, you know what? I can make some of those adjustments because this is what I want to do. God frequently requires adjustments in areas that you've never considered before. And last of all, God is looking for absolute surrender resulting in absolute dependence. God is looking for absolute surrender resulting in absolute dependence. We must have a willing heart to do whatever it is that God asks us to do and then trust him to enable us to do it. A lot of this comes back to how you view God. God is not a killjoy. He is not sitting there looking at these are the things that you enjoy. Let's see, Danny likes to do these things. Let me see if I can find something that completely sucks the joy out of his life and put him over here. Not at all. He knows me better than I know myself. And I'm over here enjoying life on a scale of one to ten, and I'm I'm hanging out at a five, and I'm thinking this is really it. And God says, oh, my goodness, Danny, I can get you to a nine easy over here. But you don't even realize it. But if you will make these adjustments as to what I've called you, then all of a sudden you're going to look back and say, man, that was nothing. This is incredible what you've got. See, God loves us enough to involve us in his work. And he doesn't want to leave us where we are when he knows we could experience much more of him. And so any adjustment that God expects you to make is for your good and for the welfare of those that he intends to bless. It was almost a year ago today, we came before our congregation in a chapters campaign and asked our people to financially sacrifice, make an adjustment. You have to make an adjustment in your finances as we were going to try to raise seven and a half million dollars. Three and a half million for a facility, two and a half million debt retirement, one and a half million uh, mission advancement. As there were a number, most of our people said, we're going to do that. And you had to make an adjustment in your finances because you all of a sudden have an additional amount of money that's going to the church for that particular project, which means that we're going to have to give something up over here. You made that adjustment. And I don't think anybody here is upset that they made that adjustment. You see, what we've done in our buildings is phenomenal. You hear the testimonies of what's happening uh, around the world because of what your gifts are. And and, and in about two weeks, Jay Watson's building is going to be complete there at Life Community Church. And they're going to move in and have their opening service uh, because of what this church was able to provide. 
for the first time in six or seven years, they've got a, a fixed meeting place. And as the, the camp gets built in the Azores and as the new property is purchased in, in northern Thailand, uh, when uh, a new student minister is reaching young people in New Jersey, it's because of what you have provided. And that is because we're able to make that adjustments. And so what God is looking for is absolute surrender. And when there is absolute surrender, it results in absolute dependence. Because when I surrender my God, when I surrender my life absolutely to God, then it means I'm under absolute dependence on him. You know what Jesus said in John 15, 5? In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. That's what we want to do. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is where you want to live life. It's scary, but this is where we want to live life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'd love to get to the point in my life to where I can say, God, apart from you, I can do nothing. There's an absolute dependence on you. I want to adjust my life so no longer am I working for God according to my abilities. But I want to be totally dependent on God in his working and his resources. That is where the major adjustment comes in. So what did Moses do? When he had that burning bush experience, uh, he came and um, God revealed to him the plan that he had for him. Moses made all of these excuses, and then God finally came back and said, Moses, you just got to go. You got to make the decision. Fish or cut bait. And so Moses says, okay, I'm going to do this. Then look what he did. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, and the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. And then Moses made the adjustment. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. Now, God's not asking any of you to do this. You don't have to ride on a donkey. And God asked them to get in their car and drive. How much easier is that? God asked them to get on an airplane and fly. They're riding a donkey, all right? A slow one at that, from what I understand. All right? And he had them ride on a donkey. And they went back to the land of Egypt. They went back to the land of Egypt. So what did they do? He changed his job. He's no longer a shepherd. He left his in-laws, good or bad. No, no, he left his, he left his family. And, and where he'd been for 40 years, for 40 years, he left all of that and he went back to Egypt. He made a major adjustment, but I love the last sentence. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. That was one of all the questions he had, but God, how are they going to believe me? How are they going to know that it's really you that spoke? And God said, that staff's in your hand. Yeah, throw it down. Threw it down. It became a snake, picked it up, staff again. And he said, staff of the Lord. And so right here, it's the staff of God. It's not Moses' staff anymore. It's the staff of God. And if you go through the seven realities and you have prayed and built your relationship with God and you hear the invitation he gives and you have looked in the Bible, you have prayed, you've looked at your circumstances and all your spiritual markers and you get counsel from the church, you hit that crisis of belief. When you hit that crisis of belief and you say, God, I'm ready to do this and then you begin to make that adjustment, you know what you take with you? You take the staff of God with you. You take all of those promises, all of those spiritual markers, you take God's word with you and you carry that with you. Because somewhere along the road, when you're journeying from Midian to Egypt, some doubts are going to creep into your mind, and you also want to hold on to these to be reminded of that. 
And when you're in Egypt and you're doing the work and things aren't going the way you thought they were going to go, you want to hold on to all of those things and say, yes, God, this is what you called me to do. And I'm going to stay the course. And God says, I will honor that. And when you obey him, he will do things through you as an individual and through this church that are God-sized. And when it's all said and done, they'll just say, God did it. And that's where you want it to be. I want to ask you to do something. I want every one of us to stand at this time. I want us all to stand. And as we stand, I'm just going to lead us in a word of prayer which is going to lead us right into the song that we're going to sing, which is I Surrender All. And I want you to sing, but I want you to look at the words as you sing. Sometimes we sing and don't really think about the words. I want you to think about the words. And I want that to be the prayer of your heart. Because in order for us to make the major adjustments, what we're going to have to do is we've got to surrender all to God, be totally dependent on Him. And then it'll help us to be able to make those major adjustments. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for your call to each one of us to be involved with you in the work that you're doing. Lord, that should thrill every one of us. To know that you're not just some impersonal God who's going to do whatever he wants to do the way he wants to do it. But yet you are a God who's wanting to do great things here in our world. But you want us to be involved in that. You're tapping us on the shoulder and saying, hey, I want you to do this. I've gifted you for this. Lord, how exciting can that be? Father, we know that the base of all of it is a matter of surrender to where we surrender our lives to you and we're dependent totally on you. Lord, I pray for each person that's here today, each person that is hearing this word, that, Lord, they will be looking at the adjustments in their life, the things they have been clinging to and holding on to, to say, Lord, I have just never been able to release these. May this be the day when they will release it I'm not saying, Lord, that you're saying, hey, you got to do that. I'm just saying, will you release it? Will you come to the point to where those things you've held on to so tight, you say, you know what, God? If you ask me to do this, I will release it and I will do it. That's what you want. And Father, just because we're willing to do that doesn't mean you'll ask us to do it. You just want to know our willingness. But if we say it, We need to mean it. And so, Lord, that's our prayer for each one of us that are here today. And our prayer is that we would surrender all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.